so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Immigration is a hot-button issue in the news and can bring out the best and worst in people. While the policy aspect is controversial, what shouldn't be debatable is the need for Christians to care for the vulnerable. At Evangelicals for Life, Travis Wusso led a discussion between Jenny Yang, DJ Jordan, and Noe Garcia called Caring for the Stranger, Immigrants, Refugees, and the Response of the Church. We hope you find this panel helpful. We're very excited to have a, a panel discussion titled Caring for the Stranger, Immigrants, Refugees, and the Response of the Church. I want to introduce my, my great panelists to you. Immediately to my left here is Noe Garcia, who serves as senior pastor of North Phoenix Baptist Church. To his uh, left is Jenny Yang, who serves as the senior vice president of advocacy and policy for world relief. Uh, and then to her left is DJ Jordan, who's a former congressional staffer for James Langford and currently serves as a director at the Pinkston Group. So what we're going to talk about today is, is some background on this issue of immigration and, and refugee policy. We're going to talk about what this, you know, how, ways that we might be able to understand this issue better. And then what are some things that we can do uh, as, as members of local churches to try to try to take action on this. So, DJ, I want to start with you. Uh, this issue of immigration, it's obviously one of the most complex issues that we're talking about uh, in our national discourse today, and one that might not be, at first glance, an issue connected to human dignity. Why, why, why for you, is this, uh, yeah. is this a pro-life issue? Why are we talking about this here today? Well, oftentimes when we talk about pro-life, we talk about um, just unborn children, but, you know, Jesus was very clear that he came to give life and give life more abundantly. So this is, immigration is a pro-life issue because immigration is an abundant life issue. Um, it's about actually having abundant life uh, here on earth. On John 10, uh, he was talking about that to the Pharisees um, and saying that uh, the thief has come to still kill and destroy, but I've come to give life and life more abundantly. Uh, at the heart of our conviction, at the, at the foundation of our pro-life conviction is that we believe that all human lives have dignity and worth from uh, conception all the way to natural death. And so everything in between and, you know, throughout Scripture, the Bible talks very clearly about doing justice. And he puts uh, several groups who are vulnerable within there, and it's always coupled. Uh, uh, immigrants are normally always coupled with the poor, with orphans, and widows, and so on and so on. So that's why this is a, an important pro-life issue. No, I want to kind of pick on some of those themes that DJ was touching on. You're a pastor in Arizona. Obviously, immigration has been a hot issue there as well. You've had to think about this and, and think about it through a biblical uh, framework. How Can you lay out for us a, a biblical framework for, for why Christians should care about immigrants? Absolutely. You know, we're seeing this issue divide the church. I have church members who are wrestling through this issue. They're struggling. And first, most importantly, the authority for every believer is Scripture. 
And we must first look through our biblical eyes, not our political. Right. And sometimes Christians look through political before biblical. Right. But biblical is what's our main authority for all of this. And so I want to be very careful in saying this, but when you look back to the biblical eyes, all from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are told continuously to love your neighbor, to love the foreigner, to love the immigrant, and not mistreat them. Right. Now, some would think to love is to negate the law. To love is not to negate the law. To love is to fulfill the law. Mm. Now, Romans 13, Paul says we are to be subjective to the law that God has put in order. He is the one who has established it, which is speaking to his sovereignty, uh, which then he says if you rebel against the law, you rebel against God. So I think some of the Christians are, are wondering, how can I love without breaking the law? And, how, and so there's that wrestle and battle, but I, I don't think you negate love because of the law. I think part of love when loving the immigrant is to clothe, to feed, and to help them correctly obey the law. Hmm. And so I think that's where that marries. And many times you see people naturally divorcing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Jenny, you, you've uh, devoted a lot of your professional life to this issue. You've written a book called Welcoming the Stranger. Um, can you share your personal connection to this issue what, and, and what, what's, drawn the, what's drawn you to this issue professionally? So I um, am the daughter of immigrants, and uh, I approach this issue not necessarily as a political issue or even a policy issue, but as a personal issue. Uh, my parents immigrated from South Korea, and uh, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. And really having that immigrant experience not only formed my identity as an American, it actually formed my identity as a Christian. In fact, my father's ability to immigrate to this country was an answer to prayer for him because living in poverty-stricken South Korea at that time, um, he didn't feel like he had a way to get himself out of poverty, to get himself out of a situation in, we, in which he felt like he didn't have any opportunity. And he prayed to God that God would deliver him from that situation and allow him to immigrate to the United States of America. So when he settled here and he had that opportunity, he was sponsored by a Ford Motor Company and settled in Philadelphia. He felt like his ability to come here and live in this country and raise his children here was God's faithfulness to him and to his family. So when I grew up in Philadelphia, um, I knew what it felt like to be the daughter of immigrants, to live in a bicultural home, to eat different foods, to speak different languages. All of the things that I think are huge benefits to me being who I am was something that was formational to me, again, as an American and as a Christian. Um, what was really, I think, startling to me, though, as I grew older and um, I started working at World Relief, it was my second job out of college. Um, I've been there actually for 15 years now and um, doing a lot of um, immigration work. I realized that there's the uh, disconnect, I think, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, between what we believe and learn and read about in Scripture and what the larger narrative around immigration is in our country today. In fact, there has been so many surveys conducted in our country that have actually found that Christians out of any other religious group oftentimes are the most anti-immigrant, not only in our rhetoric and our narrative, but it, sometimes even in our actions. Um, there was a survey that was carried out that said that evangelical Christians, more than any other religious group, think that immigrants are a burden to this country more than they are a benefit. And it didn't jive with my personal experience. I know being the daughter of immigrants and growing up in an immigrant home, that my parents and my family contributing to the, the fabric of life in Philadelphia, being, you know, an elder of a church, my father was, and, and 
really contributing to this community. I just didn't think that that was actually true. And so it started me on a journey of wrestling with this question of why is it that Christians, more than anyone else, believes that immigrants are a burden, when in my personal experience that wasn't the case. Um, and I think there is this disconnect, um, as you were saying, that a lot of times um, when we read through Scripture, we don't understand how much the Bible has to say um, and speak to the issue of immigration, that God has a specific care and a concern for immigrants who are amongst us, that this is, again, not a political issue necessarily, but this is a theological issue. This actually speaks to what we fundamentally believe about the Bible itself. And so when, when you read through Genesis to Revelation, what you actually see is that immigrants, um, the, story, the entire story of the Bible is actually a story about immigration, and it's about people who are constantly on the move. What you also see in scripture is that almost every single major biblical character was an immigrant at some point or another. And it was in their immigrant experience that allowed them to experience the faithfulness of God, whether it was Joseph, who was a victim of human trafficking or others. Um, and so I think for us, especially those of us who follow Jesus Christ, our response to the issue of immigration, I think, speaks volumes about what we believe about the gospel itself. <laughs> DJ, we're, we're in the middle of a government shutdown right now that's somewhat related to this issue. <laughs> right. Uh, but you're fresh off the hill, and so presumably, I think we're, we're all hoping that you're a little freer, uh, freer to speak about some of these issues. Um, you know, Congress has taken several cracks at, cracks at this issue, at, this, at trying to solve this issue over the last 10 years. You know, Jenny mentioned some of the polling information that, that you know, I think helps to explain part of why it's been so difficult for Congress to solve some of this. But I'm just offering if you wondering if you could offer some reflections for us on, you know, how we got to this point and, and what maybe your hopes are for where we yeah, go from here. Yeah, I served on Capitol Hill for 10 years working in three different offices, the last one being Senator James Langford. And there is no issue that is probably, um, you know, there's a lot of issues that we deal with, but immigration is one of the, the, the biggest hot button issues uh, of our day. And it was always very, very frustrating to me and Senator James Langford both that it was really difficult to find consensus. And um, we, we deal with this a lot with a lot of different issues that Congress um, has to take up. But um, oftentimes, the, nowadays, Capitol Hill is really influenced by outside voices, outside groups that actually are putting money into keeping people apart as much as possible and not finding uh, common ground. I mean, a year ago, we were debating and actually had several votes on the floor uh, for immigration policy. There were four different bills. Um, and the senator, Senator Lankford, was part of a group that actually negotiated with the White House uh, and with the president to come to a, a compromise that I understand some people had a problem with, but it did grant citizenship to, I believe, 1.7 million dreamers. And so, um, you know, as soon as that came to light and it came to something that we were debating in Capitol Hill, there were outside groups that had a vested interest in keeping people apart. And, you know, on, on one side, on the conservative side, you know, they didn't want to see anything until there were these other demands on the left. Um, they didn't want to see President Trump get a victory on immigration. And that's what it really came down to. And the goalposts moved every couple of weeks. We want to be here now, but it looks like we might have a deal. Nope, it's actually right here. And so, um, but, but Congress is a frustrating place, you know, inside just as much as it is outside for people who are looking, uh, looking from the outside in. I mean, I think my son's 12-year-old Student Government Association is far more effective and efficient 
Um, you know, Ronald Reagan once said that, um, I wonder what the Ten Commandments would look like if Moses ran it through Congress. You know, <laughs> Congress is a frustrating place to, to be in, but there are a lot of people there who are honestly trying to do good work, and, and my boss, Senator Langford, was one of them. DJ was just talking about, you know, life inside the Beltway. I want to kind of bring, bring the conversation, uh, you know, to the communities that most of us live in. You know, in Arizona, obviously, there, you know, is a, a, a large immigrant population. Uh, Jenny was talking earlier about, you know, some of the ways that, that, uh, that as evangelicals, in terms of, you know, mass polling, we tend to look at immigrants in a, in a way that, that might not match up with reality. What are, some of the, what are some of the misconceptions about immigrants? I mean, I'm wondering if you could tell us a couple of stories about, um, you know, about this in your own, you know, in your own life, in your own church. Absolutely. Uh, one of the misconceptions that I constantly have to speak to uh, is this, the assumption that every immigrant is a consumer, mm. every immigrant is on welfare, every immigrant is poor, every immigrant is uneducated, and every immigrant is illegal. So that's obviously simply not the truth. Right. Um, you know, there are many legal immigrants that are great contributors to our society, uh, great contributors to our churches, uh, great contributors to our community, and that we've seen God do in news in incredible ways. Now, that does not negate the reality that there are some immigrants that are attached to the things that I mentioned. Uh, but I think the misconception is that all immigrants fit in that category. Right. Right. Jenny, you know, one of the things that when we talk about immigration, it's often, you know, sometimes the discussion about, you know, dreamers and uh, undocumented immigrants or unlawful immigrants or refugees kind of all gets lumped up into one. I'm wondering if you can kind of help us you know, disentangle some of this and give us some categories to think about as we're, you know, that, that can help us to analyze and make sense of the news. Sure. So uh, immigration has always been a hot topic in our country, I think, since our founding. And a lot of it is because there's so many other issues tied to the issue of immigration. Not only are immigrants individuals made in the image of God, but you talk about, you know, language and culture and race and identity and economics, and all of this is entangled. So it makes it a really complex topic. Um, I think when we talk about, um, there's several terms that I think are helpful in clarifying our discussion and our debate in the country. Um, So the term immigrants really um, refers to any individual who leaves their country of birth and goes to another country to to live permanently. So um, it doesn't matter how you get here or or your legal status, but an immigrant is someone who's actually from another country. And so my parents are immigrants, for example. Um, individuals that are here as refugees or asylum seekers are also considered immigrants as well because they were not born in the United States of America. Um, Refugees is a special category of individuals of immigrants. Um, These are individuals who actually have a well-founded fear of persecution and are coming into the United States of America or seeking um, safety in another another place. Um, And you have to actually have a well-founded fear of persecution based on your race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. So, for example, if you're fleeing poverty, um, you're not necessarily considered a refugee because you're not necessarily fleeing persecution. Um, Or if you're fleeing a natural disaster like an earthquake, you're also not considered um, a refugee. But you have to meet that specific definition of fleeing persecution. Now, in the United States of America, we've accepted um, uh, historically, on average, around 60 to 70,000 refugees per year. Um, the past years were a little bit of an aberration um, in that we only accepted around 22,000 uh, refugees last year. 
Um, but it speaks to the historic nature of, of the refugee settlement program and the fact that people have to meet this definition in order to come in. Um, now, a lot of what's been happening in the news um, has been focused on what's happening at the border with individuals that are trying to come into the United States of America. Um, these are not necessarily refugees in that they have met this well-founded fear of persecution, but they're individuals that are actually seeking asylum in the United States of America. They do not have that status yet. Um, and so for these individuals, many of them who are coming from Central America, and we're calling them asylum seekers because many of them are coming here saying they have a fear of actually going back home. Um, it, if you know anything about Honduras, what you'll know is that it's actually considered the country um, in the world that has the highest homicide rate. Um, and so many people are fleeing gang violence. Um, many of them are fleeing um, domestic violence and just generalized uh, violence as well. And so many of these individuals are trying to come into the United States of America to actually um, seek asylum as well. So these are individuals that we would actually call asylum seekers. Now, no matter what status you're in or, or how you're trying to get into this country, I think for us as, as followers of Jesus and as a church, there is this response, I think, not just of compassion, but of rule of law as well. And I think the challenge in the immigration debate is so much, it's a binary question where we think we either have to support the rule of law or should compassion. Um, and I think we can actually do both. I don't th think it's a mutually exclusive equation. I think our country, by um, showing compassion, can actually support the rule of law and vice versa. And I think sometimes when we get into the binary equation, it's, it's um, not as helpful. And speaking of the rule of law, um, I think in America today, we have a great injustice in the way that our immigration laws work, um, especially in regards to what we do with people who come here legally and try to follow the rules, uh, and also in regards to what our economy does in hiring people um, who may be here illegally and, and then deporting or punishing the individual but doing nothing to the business that hired them. And so that is a great injustice. And God has called the church, the church of Jesus Christ has been called to address injustices, and that should be one of them. Uh, in, in the different communities that are always addressed in Isaiah 117, throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, when he talks about justice, he talks about the prisoner, he talks about the, the poor, he talks about the orphan, he talks about the widow, and he talks about the stranger and the immigrant. And he's calling the church to serve all of those communities, pushing Congress and pushing our legislators to do immigration reform is a form of actually us doing justice. And we need to demand our elected officials to change the laws and do it now. So I want to pick up on that idea of, of some ways that we can contribute. Before we get to the policy, Noe, I want to come to you and ask you, in terms of the, the ministry in our, our local churches, you know, each of us are, are members of a church somewhere, or at least I hope we are. What can we do to serve the immigrants around us? Give us, you know, give us a few sort of tangible things that we can do if, if our hearts are burdened for refugees or for Syrians or, you know, or for Hondurans or, or for, uh, you know, the vulnerable around us. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, one thing we really try to cultivate, speak, speaking specifically for our church, is we don't love based off of skin color, hmm. social status, uh, legal status even. Uh, we love with seeing every individual created in the image of God. So what does love look like for the local church? Uh, love looks like clothing, just like it would in clothing anybody who's in need, right. feeding anybody in need. Specifically for the illegal, love looks like helping them follow the law. That's love. Uh, we're not simply trying to cultivate sin and disobedience to the law. Uh, love is helping them take the proper steps. And I, I think we can't forget, we cannot forget 
that God is sovereign. I think we can all agree on that. God is in charge. He is not surprised. He is sovereign. What if God is allowing the nations to come to us so that we can see each individual in the image of God? Maybe they are lost. He wants us to share the gospel. That's what's most important. That this person, regardless of their color or legal status, with all in our being, that we try to share the gospel so they don't end up in hell forever. And we didn't share the gospel to someone who was illegal. And we didn't share because they were illegal. And I know God is sovereign, but as Christians, we we are mandated to love. And that's never based off of illegal or illegal status. Mm. Black, white, brown, never. It's always based off of loving your neighbor. Mm. It doesn't even say Christian neighbor in that. I love that he put that. It doesn't even say neighbor who's only in a same-sex marriage. Neighbor who's only here legally. No, but to love your neighbor. And I think the church... um, should be demonstrating that to a broken world who doesn't know how to do that, who doesn't know what to do with this issue. Mm. So we love not negating the law, but we love fulfilling the law. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're, give us you give us a couple of ideas. What are what are some things you do at your church? How, what are some ways we can we can put some flesh on? We have a ministry that ministers to over two hundred refugees. Mm. In that ministry is refugees and immigrants. And here's what we do when we encounter um, an illegal immigrant. Uh, what we do is help take them to the proper channels. We have people in our church who put their arms around them and help them go to the legal channels. Um, then we have those that are, that are here legally and may be in need. And, and we, we have a food pantry, we have a clothes pantry. We have, um, during Christmas, we pass out toys to those in need. A lot of them are, are immigrants and refugees. Uh, we pass out food to those in need during Thanksgiving. Um, so it's, it's the practical things that Jesus you know, tells us to do, to be the hands and feet of Christ in our communities. Yeah. Jenny, I want to come to you to kind of think a little bit about advocacy. DJ already uh, kind of touched on this a little bit, but what are... Ahead of ourselves, sorry. Well, no, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, um, you're on the Hill a lot. We're on the Hill a lot together. Give, a, give us some ideas of, of things that we can do and maybe even give us a framework for thinking about an issue like this where we've been so close and failed and so close and failed and so close and, fa- and failed. Yeah. Well, I think um, all of us are called not just to be stewards of our money and our resources. I think we're called to be stewards of our influence. God has given each of us influence over our communities, over our churches, um, and over our elected officials. Our elected officials ultimately report to us. And as individuals who live in a democracy, we have an incredible opportunity to use our voice to speak up for the most vulnerable in our communities, including immigrants. Um, and so I think for a long time, immigration is, is a really tough topic that our elected officials are hearing from all sides about. But I think for those of us who follow Christ, if we don't speak into these issues, there's a vacuum created in which others who do not reflect our values will be speaking into these issues. I think for those of us who, who know that, it, again, it's not a binary equation, but there is an opportunity to both respect the rule of law as well as to show compassion, not just for us as individuals, but even for our government, I think creates a unique opportunity for us to use our voice to speak up. Um, World Relief, the organization that I work with, um, also is part of a coalition called the Evangelical Immigration Table, which the ERLC and others are a part of. And we, um, if you sign up for a listserv and others, there's opportunities, I think, for us to um, sign on to letters, to ask your pastors to sign on to letters. And I think collectively, by us raising our voice, that actually can influence our elected officials to say that there are evangelicals who actually care about this issue and are speaking into it in a way that's practical, in a way that's biblical, in a way that really reflects our values. Um, But the other thing I would really encourage us to do as well is to um, really have 
these conversations with your communities, with your friends, within your churches as well. Don't just have this conversation on social media. And the reason I say that is because so much of the dominant narrative around immigration is based on untruths and misinformation. And the only way for us to bring clarity to this conversation, I think, is to to bring a community around us, whether in a small group or within the church, and have a conversation that's distinctly biblical, right? And so um, Travis mentioned a book I co-authored called Welcoming the Stranger, and we developed a six-week study guide that a lot of churches have used um, to just go deep um, into immigration and what the Bible actually says on this issue. Um, we're doing it actually at my church. My, one of my friends is doing um, a monthly um, Bible study and a discussion on refugees and immigrants in our country, bringing guest speakers, and that's, any, that's something that anyone can do. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to deepen our discipleship on this issue by speaking truth, seeking the right information, um, and using our voice to speak up. DJ, I want to get your perspective on this. You know, having sat on the other side of the table as those of us who are trying to get members of Congress to do something, I wonder if you could give us some ideas or, or give us a couple of pointers on, you know, on ways that we can advocate more effectively, the ways that we can make our case more, more effectively. First of all, to those who would say Christians don't need to spend too much time on government, I just want to remind you that God established and blessed three different institutions the family, the church, and government. So we should be there. We need to be the salt and light in every industry, every aspect of this world, and that includes government. Uh, when you are, uh, first of all, you got to know who your legislators are. Know who your elected leader is. Most Americans don't know who that person is, and I get it, I understand it. But know who that person is and get to know their staff. Um, also, remind them of the the, the views that you have, but also remind them that they have immigrants in their district who, uh, and how they're being impacted by the negligence of our Congress. And it's not just impacting them and their family's life, it's impacting the community, it's impacting our economy. And so I would really encourage people to, to begin to do that and get to know uh, every single office has at least one person who specializes in immigration issues as a legislative aide or a legislative correspondent. Get to know that person, get to know, you know their contact information, so on and so on, and make your voice heard. And also engage both sides of the aisles. We've seen a lot of different uh, groups engage both Republicans and Democrats on various issues. We've seen you know, the Jewish community do that. We've seen uh, so many other different interest groups and communities do that. I'm not telling you to change your party. I'm not telling you to join a party but engage everybody and make sure that they know that you are demanding that something needs to be done about this injustice and it needs to be done now. Well, as we're, as we're wrapping up, I want to give each of you the opportunity to, to kind of help us land the plane, help us to, to walk out of here with, with one or a, or a couple things that we can, we can take back to our communities, whether that's something that's related to advocacy, whether it's something related to the way that we engage on this issue or speak about this issue. No, I'll start with you. Yeah, I would say three quick things to leave on. Um, I'll take it straight from Romans 13. Trust in God's sovereignty and our governing authority. God is sovereign. And Romans 13, 1 and 2, very clear on who established it. Um, so trust in God's sovereignty. I would say number two, be biblical before political. Number three, love the way we are commanded to love. Just as he, has, he loved us. Mm, well, amen. we were still sinners. He gave himself for us. So love is... Because he's loved us. Those are the three things I would say. Amen. Jenny? Yeah. Um, I would say that I think for us, as far as with Jesus, to build relationships with those in our communities um, is fundamentally important. I think it, it 
allows us to get to know people who are in our communities and our neighborhoods um, and allows us to affirm their dignity um, by getting to know their stories. And um, Pastor Noah was talking about how this is an incredible opportunity to share the gospel with people who may not have heard of Jesus before. And I think it is. I think the nations have come into our own backyards and we have an incredible opportunity to share the gospel. Um, at the same time, I also think it's important to recognize that many immigrants themselves are already followers of Jesus. And by getting to know them, there's an incredible opportunity for mutual transformation. Um, so I think by encouraging all of us um, as a church to be in relationship with those who are different than us, to not let our enemy be someone of a different religion or race, um, but our ultimate enemy, I think oftentimes is fear, a fear of getting to know the other. Um, and so I, just entering into opportunities for service for immigrants in our communities, again, presents an opportunity for mutual transformation and allow us to have a bigger understanding of what God is doing around the world. Yeah, I want to end with this one scripture that's been on my mind, Deuteronomy 10, uh, 18 and 19. God enacts justice for orphans and widows, and he loves immigrants, giving them food and clothing. That means you must also love immigrants because you were immigrants in Egypt. Over and over and over, when God talks about the church doing justice and loving your neighbor, he includes all of those. I believe if abortion was um, an issue of that day, the unborn would be right there. God is calling us to do justice, and part of it is to serve and love the immigrant because he is for abundant life for all. Amen. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcasts and leave us a review. And tune in next week as we discuss the gospel and the future of secular America. America.